Thank you, John. That's good. Good to see you. Glad you're here today. Um, most of you kind of know my story. About a year and a half ago now, I came to uh, California, to Reading, and uh, to be with my daughter and family. Scott Alexander grew up in the church here. Three grandchildren. Sadie just started driving this week, so that's your warning. <laughs> and then this past Thursday, the youngest, Lily, turned four. So exciting time in, in my life, and I'm so glad that the Lord has uh, brought me here. Um, and not only for that, but uh, eight weeks ago, I married the most marvelous lady that I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> Where'd you go? She moved on me. <laughs> All right. And uh, somebody says, how's it going? I said, it's going great. You know, eight weeks is not a long time, though, right? <laughs> I'm glad you're here this morning, too. Because what I think and really believe in my heart is that before the foundation of the world, God knew you were going to be here this morning. Just think of that. Is that not a powerful thought? And he wants to do a work in each one of our hearts today, in your heart. We sang about that today. What marvelous songs. Someone said, well, they're not writing any new good songs today. Well, we just sang one this morning. It's the first time I ever heard it, and that was great. Thank you, John. God wants to do a work in your heart today. Let me say that again. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. Getting some feedback, guys. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time together today. Thank you that before the foundations of the world, you did plan for every person that's here today to be here. And Father, we know that you work in people's hearts and lives. And Lord, I've been praying all week that you would do that today in this service. So Father, I pray that you would just take my words and they would be not mine but yours and you would just speak through me and Lord, meet needs that are here today that perhaps only you know what they are. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. No PowerPoint this morning because this is brand new and I didn't do one. That's just honest. But you do have a study sheet that we'll get to in just a little bit, but it'll be a while. The first part of this, and the, and the lesson, or the uh, question that I want to ask, I think that maybe some of you have probably been asking yourself, is when you look around at what's taking place in America, it can be pretty heartbreaking, can't it? Can it not? Every day now, you hear of people killing other people, bombs, and on and on the list goes almost a daily occurrence to where we can almost become calloused to hearing that. What's taking place? What's going on? Why is it happening? Have you, ever, have you been thinking about those questions? Here's one. Can America be saved? And that's what I'd like us to look at this morning. You'll say, oh man, glad I really came today. Is this going to be discouraging? I hope not. I hope the, the, the latter 
It'll be encouraging to you. But many believe that America will just keep on going, and those that believe that, I think you would agree with me, have not really been students of history because history tells us otherwise. America is not mentioned in prophecy. We know that. Much speculation and talk has gone into why. Perhaps we will be done in with a superbug. I was just reading this past week that they're very much afraid of that happening soon and that even with all of the uh, vaccines that 80,000 Americans died of pneumonia last year alone. Maybe it'll be race wars. That seems to be heating up. A biological terrorism, nuclear threat, cyber attack, earthquake. There have been so many earthquakes. I don't, we don't hear a lot about that on the national news, but you can go online and find out. Just Google it. Hundreds of earthquakes around the world since the beginning of this year. And the Bible says you'll always have them, but in the latter times, they're going to be more and more frequent. And that's what we see happening. The Roman Empire lasted about 500 years, and yet at the end slowly decayed. America has unsettled parallels with that country. Decline of moral values, overextended military, inability to control national borders, financial irresponsibility of our central government. For Rome, the end of civilization came within the span of only one generation. Think of that. We think America is invulnerable to decline and collapse. And again, for those that believe that, perhaps we haven't been good students of the history. Can America be saved? That's the question that I'd like for us to look at. I believe that's the most important question that faces us today. Surely the level of immorality and apostasy, apostasy in the American church today must just break the heart of God. As we look around at all of the warning signs in the church and in our culture, we must think at least once in a while, how close are we to the point of no return? As Christians, we can hope. Aren't you glad of that? We can believe, we can pray, we can do what we can to get right people in the offices that help you have the opportunity as well as the privilege in just a very short time to vote. You need to do that. It's your God-given responsibility and privilege as an American. Just maybe God is giving us one last chance. But you and I as God's kids must wake up from our long stupor and recommit ourselves to taking the Great Commission seriously. May I remind us that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, God says, you Christian are the salt of the earth and if you lose your effectiveness you're good for nothing and I fear we can write that across the doors of our churches in America today will the church of the 21st century wake up to the truth before Western civilization sinks into moral and spiritual collapse may I remind us this morning that God is offended when we rebel against him and arrogantly seek to replace the worship of God for the worship of self. What's needed today? What is America's only hope? When you go home today, 
and you have the opportunity, look in the mirror. There lies America's hope. And, God, and that's America's only hope. It's for God's kids to start acting like that which, they've beha- which they have become in Christ Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus in us, and if they only see the same things in us that they see in themselves, why would they want what we have? They won't, and they don't. And if we simply start acting like what we have become in Christ Jesus, we wouldn't have room in our churches for the people. They need to see Jesus in us. What do we need? in our lives this morning and that's really the topic that we're looking at this morning it is revival what is revival well among other things revival is the last hope of our nation and world please understand that sure we live in dark times but there's no need for pessimism christians have the best reason to be realistic optimists how you doing with that Our nation is still filled with godly people, godly people that know how to pray. Around the world today, the church is growing at at great rates. Psalms chapter 85 and verse 6 is a prayer that maybe we need to whisper again today. Will you not, O Lord, receive us again that your people might rejoice in you? Things have been bad before when God sent revival. And the good news is that he can do that again today. Amen? What is revival? Revival is simply God's work. It is a season of regeneration that he excites his people. The direct result of revival is always evangelism, people getting saved. And that goes together. When people get excited about Christ, you can't keep them quiet. The direct result of that is that people hear and see the Word and trust Christ as their Savior. In revival, moral trends are turned upside down and spiritual zeal is turned once again upside right. God's impending judgment is turned aside. Revival influences people and causes them to stand for God in a godless society. And unless revival comes, other forces will take the field that will shirk or or sink us rather into deep mire of more humanism and materialism. But there's good news. Revival is possible in any generation. Revival is possible in our generation. Think about the first great awakening. The years 1720 to 1740s, one of the most famous movements in American Christianities. Settlers came and they were inflamed with the gospel and hungry for religious liberty. And the United States of America came and it was formed. After the pilgrims came the Puritans. And you know what happened during that time? The very first college was started in the United States. You know what it was? Harvard University. You know why it was started? You may not know this. For the very sole reason of teaching the word of God to the common people. 
Soon, the spiritual and moral conditions of the colonies declined, and it did so at an alarming rate. In 1702, a New England pastor by the name of Increase Mathers, if you're going to have any children, you know, I, if I, could, I, would, I would name them Increase. I kind of like that name, Increase Mathers, but he said something that was very convicting. He said, um, conversions have become rare. And the special design of providence seems to be over. But then in 1740s, the revival began in New Jersey and blazed through the colonies that changed history for even today. It spread to Massachusetts to a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Remember him? Jonathan Edwards is most remembered by his sermon, Sinners uh, in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was preaching on July the 8th, 1741. And as he began to preach, he heard this commotion and he asked for a calmness. And then he realized that God was, at mo was moving in that area, in that congregation at that time. He was in a great tabernacle and there were pillars and, and people as he preached on that, that message on hell and what it was like in hell, that people began to hold on to the pews and they began to hold on to the posts because they feared that they would fall into hell. And we are told that there are 500 were converted that evening. Listen, if there's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, and there's only two places you can spend eternity, you need to determine today where that's going to be. And hell's not something that we just forget about. The worst thing about hell is there is no hope. We still have hope, amen? But once a person gets to, gets to a place called hell, there is no hope. The drug addict will always want to fix. The drunkard will always want another drink. There will be no friends because you will not be able to tell who's there or not. In utter darkness, it will be a, it's like, if I read the scriptures correctly, it's like being in a dark place with absolutely no light because Jesus isn't there, folks. There is no light. And you won't know if you're right side up or upside down. It's just a feeling of that falling. Have you ever fallen? But in utter darkness, forever that way, a flame that does not quench and all of those things that make hell so bad, the worst thing about it is there is no hope and once you're there you're there forever do you know for sure today that you're on your way to heaven the scriptures say you can know that god wants you to know that 500 were converted that evening sparking a revival that swept thousands into the kingdom Colleges opened, including Princeton, Rutgers, Dartmouth, and Brown. All of them were open for the same reason as Harvard, to teach the Word of God. The effects of the Great Awakening shaped American political scene and set the stage for the American Revolution. And then there was a second Great Awakening in the early 1800s. But once again, Americans sank down into spiritual decline and people began to move west and they began to rework and rebuild the our country um, when they moved west there was few churches and so in france 
A, name, a fellow by the name you might recognize, Voltaire, predicted that in two generations, Christians would disappear off the face of the earth. An example of how things were so bad is that two students now at Princeton, remember why it was formed, professed to, they were professing to be Christians. There was only two of them. It has been said that the, last, or the last two decades of the 18th century were the darkest period of history for American Christianity. But hold on. Then another stirring. This time at Hampton Sydney College, a few students locked themselves into a room for fear that they would be found, and they began to pray for revival. Just two students. At the same time, Brush Arbor meetings sprang up. Thousands attended. There were tremendous convictions at that time of sin, and once again, revival broke out. One fellow by the name of Charles Finley went to see what was going on because he heard of the, the great revivals that were taking place. And this is what he said. He said, the noise was as loud as Niagara Falls. He went to a meeting and he was not converted, but he was uh, convicted of sin. And the next day on his way back to Oberlin College, he trusted Christ on horseback, much like the Apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus. He went back to Oberlin, Ohio and started uh, Oberlin College, which was a great school for teaching the Word of God. In 1976, I had the great privilege while living on the East Coast to travel there and stand behind his pulpit, the same pulpit that he preached from. That was an exciting day for me. But they've since taken down all of his pictures. Even by then, they had taken down all of his pictures and long departed from his intended goals for that school. During the Second Great Awakening, Americans sent out their first missionaries. The Bible, uh, American Bible Society was formed. The American Sunday School Union was formed. And the American Tract Society. That led to the Third Great Awakening in the 1850s and 60s. And once again, after that, Americans sank into spiritual lethargy and godlessness. Once again, God's people began to pray and God sent revival. This time in New York City. A pastor announced a prayer meeting and hardly anybody came. Now, I was thinking about that this past week. Things haven't changed much. But soon, listen to this now, within a few months, 50,000 people a day were gathering for prayer all over New York. It spread to Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, and Cincinnati. Between one and two million people trusted Christ. Offices closed and schools closed so that people could have prayer meetings. I can remember in the little town when I was growing up that every Wednesday people closed, uh, the stores closed rather. And I asked my mom and dad, why was that? And this is what I got. They still remembered those times and would still close. I don't know how many people were praying because they closed, but they were still closing. But that's what happened. YMCA was formed. Moody Bible Institute came into existence. We're told that in 1863, 7,000 uh, 7, soldiers were converted among Robert E. Lee's army. And at that time, military chaplains came into existence for the very first time. Such songs as Revive Us Again, Fill Each Heart With Thy Love, May, May Soul Be Rekindled With Fire From Above was written. And also Fanny Crosby's great um, song that is Blessed Assurance, Jesus Is Mine. One of the grace revivals erupted in the early 1900s. It was the Welsh Revival. A young miner by 
Martin Roberts confessed sin. This is what he said. This is a simple message. This is what we need to get back to today. The simple message, all right? He said, confess sin. Put it away. Put away doubtful habits. Obey the Holy Spirit's prompting and confess faith in Christ openly. Within three months, 100,000 converts were added to the church. It was such a change, listen to this now, that the mules no longer knew what to do because they did not understand what they were being told because the miners' speech had changed. Now that's revival, is it not? <laughs> and not only that, jails closed, churches were filled, and across the country, colleges experienced revival. Campus Crusade was started, Youth for Christ, as well as Billy Graham. And I guess the last great revival a lot of us are going to remember in the 1970s, it started right here. The Jesus Movement, it was called. It spread the whole way across the United States. And I can remember as a young person going to what we called a share-in. And there were ki kids from all over the, the town, very little town, but we had like 40 teenagers getting together once a week, every week, and just singing like we did today and praising the Lord and wanting to know more about what life was really all about. Coffee houses opened. Hippies by the thousands were saved and baptized. We are told that Billy Graham, riding through Pasadena as the Grand Marshal Tournament Roses, said that he saw hippies pointing to heaven and going, one way, man. I bet you there's some here today that did that very same thing. You just won't admit it. <laughs> or maybe you will. <laughs> he called, they were called the Jesus Generation and uh, Billy Graham wrote a book by the same title. Sanford, Berkeley, YM, uh, YMCA, UCLA, all experienced revival. And it spread across, as I said, the entire country. These Jesus freaks, as they were called, flooded the churches. And the emergence of praise and worship music was introduced for the very first time. In 1972, a six-day gathering in Dallas, Texas, 80,000 teenagers came to Christ as their Savior at one time. Enough of the history lesson. Would you agree with me today that our country needs another spark? That our country stands in dire need of God once again moving? And we need revival. The real answer to our problems, folks, is not political. It's spiritual. It's Jesus. Amen? What do we need today? We need humble leaders, pastors that will stand in the pulpits and say, thus saith the Lord. We need them to be able to preach the scriptures and not be afraid of doing so. We need hungry people that will be taught um, that will take what is being preached and taught and apply it to their, to their lives. May I remind you this morning that 2 Chronicles 7.14 is as true today as the day it was penned. If, conditional promise from God to you and I, if my people will humble themselves. You see, there lies the problem. 
We're not willing to do that. But God says, if you will humble yourself, if you will pray, if you will seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, I will heal your land. That's his promise to us. I'll send revival. We cannot orchestrate revival. It can't be done. But we can, please understand, now this is getting into your notes there, we can... um, personally pray for revival. We can rededicate ourselves to living a life of personal holiness and perpetual revival. Now, that last phrase, perpetual revival, I want you to hang on to that. It's not just that I'm saved and I'm, that's all. It's not that I get revived and that's it. It is a perpetual thing. It is a continual thing where I die daily and I ask the Holy Spirit to come in and take control of my life, to show me areas of my life that are displeasing to him and confess that and get rid of them. And as he shows me areas of my life that need worked on or things that need to be added to, then I do that as well. That is perpetual revival. That's what needs to take place in the church. That's what our world needs to see. It's what your neighbor needs to see. It's what that loved one needs to see that's still without Christ, and they need to see it in your life. Perpetual revival. What a great thing. It's something that continues. It begins and then continues. We can let revival begin in, you can Let revival begin in your heart this morning, right there. Right where you're seated. seating. (laughs) What's the Holy Spirit put his finger on in your life today? You say, how do you know he's done that? Because that's what he does. See, the problem is that we compare ourselves with one another. And we begin to think, I'm okay, because so-and-so does it or doesn't do it, or goes there, or whatever. God says, don't do that. Second Corinthians says, comparing themselves with themselves, they became fools. We're not to compare ourselves with one another. We're to compare ourselves with Jesus. What does he say about you this morning? Listen, this is true of every one of us. You resemble him as much this morning as you've chosen to. But you can't resemble him without spending time with him. And if you're counting on getting through your Christian life by just coming to church once a week, you're believing a lie. No one can do that. If we are to change the world, we must first let the Lord change us, you see. The world needs to see Jesus in you. And that's why I said the only hope for revival is when you go home today, you look in the mirror, you're going to see the only hope for revival in America is God's kids. It's you. It's me. Not concerned, getting away with, not getting away from what people think, getting away from any other excuse that I might offer up, And allowing God to infuse me with his Holy Spirit that I might stand and 
be a blessing to other people. Listen, this is in your notes, three things. God longs to grant you perpetual joy. I like that, perpetual joy. You, you mean ongoing joy? Uh-huh. Some of you don't look like you're experiencing perpetual joy this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Can I do that? You say, but Grant, you don't know what I'm going through. And that's true. I don't. I lost my job. Someone rear-ended me this week. I got T-boned. I just got the big C word back as a report of my last physical. I don't know what you're going through. But with all of the love and sensitivity that I can muster up this morning, may I say to you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. The perpetual joy that God offers is for any time, for anyone, in any situation. Amen? All we need to do is appropriate it. It's there. Perpetual joy. God longs to grant you perpetual joy. He longs, secondly, to um, grant you everlasting hope. Remember, there is no hope in the place called hell. But as long as you, as you and I are drawing breath, there is hope. What a great thing. When, did you ever see somebody that just lost hope and gave up? It's a terrible thing. God wants to grant you perpetual joy and everlasting hope. And thirdly, he wants to empower your living. Empower your living. Did you ever ask somebody, how you doing? And the response came back like, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. As a Christian, you're not supposed to be under the circumstances. You realize that. Are you experiencing perpetual joy? Everlasting hope? empowered living would you be honest with yourself would you answer the question you say no i'm not then your need of revival perpetual revival revival can start this morning in your heart it only takes one in this dark culture we can confess and turn from sin and let the revival fires burn within us. So my question to you, kind sir, dear lady, young person, is simply this. Have you lost your fervor for the Lord? Have you lost your love for him? Has sin dampened your zeal and, and hindered you? Has the world shaped you into its way of doing things instead of you being transformed and having an impact upon the world? What changes need to occur in your life this morning to open your heart, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and labor once again, not in your power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Whatever it takes today, here's what I'm asking you to do. Whatever it takes today, would you put away sin? Whatever the Holy Spirit has put his finger on in your life as he has done mine this week, as I've prepared for this message, would you put it away? If he says, this is, what's needs, this is where you need to work, this is what you need to work on, 
This is what needs to be added to your life. Are you stilling, are you stilling, still having, after many years of being in Christ, a 10-minute devotion every day? May I ask you why? When you say you love him, but that's all the time you're willing to give to him, and you get busy and you offer up a prayer as you run out the door, or as you're getting dressed, and it's been years since, if ever, that you've bowed your knee before him and said, God, take total control of my life. People need to see you and me. That's what's wrong with our country. That's what's wrong with our churches. Perpetual revival, that's what's needed. Begin it in me. Begin it in me today. Whatever it takes, I now put away sin. I put Christ first. I want to become a kindling wood for him. I can remember in those Sharon's that we had, we sang a song that maybe some of you have done, and and, um, you'll remember it. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. That's what I'm talking about. You could be that spark. Is it impossible for revival as it happened several times in our country when it was needed most that would begin again today, right here at Cross Point Church, right here in your life? What could happen? Hmm. I like to think about that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. John's coming. Thought I heard him. But in all seriousness today, listen to this. We're going to close. First of all, If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, all of this is secondary. And that place called hell that we talked about, God never intended anyone to go there. But you will choose whether you go there or not by accepting or rejecting him as your Savior. And if you've never trusted him as your Savior today, in just a few minutes as we sing, would you come? We'll have people here that will take God's word and share with you how you can leave different than what you've come, where you can experience purpose for living and forgiveness of your sins the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive eternal life now the rest of you I'm going to step down here for just a moment I want you to remain seated unless you're going to stand with me and say Grant More than anything, because see, that's what it needs to be. More than anything else in my life. I want revival in my life. I'm tired of living a defeated, miserable Christian life. I don't know if anybody can ever see Jesus in me. But that's my prayer this morning. I want revival to start. And if it doesn't spread anywhere else than just me, I want that perpetual revival today that you're talking about. I have things in my life that I'm giving to the Lord this morning. And I stand with you in praying for our great nation that it might once again become what it was. We've kicked God out of everything, and we wonder what's going on. We need revival in your life and mine as his kids, and that it might spread and have enough influence in our entire country. We're going to sing a song. It talks about revival. And as we sing that song, if you will join me in prayer today and say, I 
want revival, I stand with you, you stand as we sing. John? <laughs>